coming to you very, uh, I guess we could say fashionably late on this podcast on this Wednesday, hope day night. And that's because Andrew and I just got back from Dayton, Ohio. And we're going to tell you why we were in Dayton, what we saw in Dayton, and why you need to know about what was going on in Dayton. Plus, we're going to continue talking about uh, the biggest questions and observations of mandatory minicamp for the Bengals as they are getting closer and closer to training camp. Welcome to another off-season edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad and Andrew Gillis with you. Mike Nislik has a night off. He will join us on Friday, not Thursday, Friday, and I'll tell you why later. But before we do uh, and we get into our conversation, make sure you tell us why you're a Bengals fan. Yes, you tell us why are you a Bengals fan. How do you do that? Simple. Go to strictlystripes.com. Click on the link that says why I'm a Bengals fan. Tell us your story. Share us your story. Don't hold back. Be bold. Don't make anything up, though. But tell us your story about how, when, and why you became a Bengals fan. Uh, And if it's easier, you can email your story to stripes at cleveland.com. And we're going to start sharing these responses next week uh, as a means of getting us through the offseason, along with some other cool stuff we got coming. So uh, make sure you do that. So... Cue the drum roll. The reason why we were in Dayton, for those who don't know, was because Logan Wilson, Bengals linebacker, held uh, his annual celebrity softball game. Now, I say annual, but this is the inaugural annual game. So it sounds like, depending on how today went, he definitely might make this a uh, recurring thing every year. Um, this is the first time he did it. Uh, and I believe the reason why he's doing it is because it is to raise awareness uh, about a very rare disorder that affects children. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but uh, it affected uh, very SIDS. SIDS yes, yeah, and I don't remember what that means, but it affected uh, the child of a very close family friend that he knows back home in Casper, Wyoming, which is what inspired him to come up with this idea. And a lot of his teammates thought it was cool because there were many uh, current and former Bengals there, including most notably Chato Chosinko, and Giovanni Bernard. And long story short, uh, there was a home run derby, which we'll talk about. And then there was a game that featured Team Wilson and Team Ocho. And Giovanni Bernard naturally was on Team Wilson. And as far as who was on either team, it was a very, very diverse split of uh, Bengals superstars. And a very star-studded lineup, I should add. Uh, and I'm going to tell you right now, Andrew, the first thing that stood out to me that I want to investigate further because this is fascinating. And this is not a knock on Cal Adamites, but this is actually like an underrated praise I'm giving him. I had no idea that this dude could hit dingers. I mean, he was, I think, the first batter to go before Logan. I think even before Logan Wilson, he went up to bat before anybody. And this dude slugged 12 home runs. Now, granted, it's a minor league baseball field, and the home run zone was actually shorter than you know, what a home run zone would be in a real field. They had it set up differently, but that dude could hit. And I'm going to tell you what, he looks a lot bigger this off season. And I'm pretty sure he said he played baseball, uh, but that stood out to me. And uh, Logan Wilson was the first to admit he wasn't really much of a softball guy, baseball guy growing up. So, uh, you know, a little bit of an adjustment at the plate, but man, Trey Hendrickson, DJ reader, Joe Bocci, who I'll get to. I mean, those guys were crushing it. I mean, did you look at some of these guys and think, gosh, like you did not expect that? Or like, were you just naturally expecting some guys to do what they did? 
Well, I was I was a little surprised DJ Reader didn't do as well as he uh, as I thought. That, I mean, so he, he that was shocking. I should yeah, have former, he former as college well as baseball player. You figured he would have he would have done something cool. Um, but he was a pitcher yeah, though, I mean, right? Cal, you know, Cal said he played baseball through high school. Um, you know, he had a nice little swing, but I think uh, you know Joe Bocci was was the one who uh, he was obviously the one who won the, that home run derby and. Um, it, yeah, it was it was it was funny to see because he was just it felt like he was just like muscling the ball over. Um, you know, his swing was a little choppier than Cal's. Cal was a little bit smoother, but uh, yeah, Bocce would just he was just trying. He was just swinging as hard as he could. It looked like it. I mean, he was roping that thing. It was. I mean, it, I think he hit like one. I I thought he hit like one real one. Like you know, which Bocce. Yeah, I thought he hit a real home run. Um, which would have been like 300 and something plus feet, which on a softball, you know, for slow pitch is insane. But um, yeah, I mean, it was a fun event. Um, you know, obviously you mentioned, um, you know, it was cool that, that Logan Wilson was able to kind of put that on and, you know, raise, uh, raise awareness and, and, you know, raise some money for, for, uh, for SIDS and, and, and kind of talk about, um, you know, what that meant to him. And, um, you know, it, it was cool to see a lot of people out there. Gio Bernard still has a lot of, uh, you know, huge fans in the area. So it was a, it was a really fun night. You know, it's no surprise, obviously that, you know, Giovanni Bernard from the time he was in Cincinnati, like, wow, over a decade ago, up until he obviously left in uh, 2020 before he finished out his career with uh, Tampa Bay for the last two years. It's no secret or shocker that, uh, he's a fan favorite. But it only confirmed it every time, <clears throat> excuse me, every time he went up to the plate and you just heard the roaring crowd. I mean, you can go to my Twitter page and see the videos of this, but, you know, he was such a fan favorite. And obviously, uh, Chad Ochocinco, uh, he did not participate in the home run derby. Uh, he just was part of the actual game, which we didn't see that. Uh, we left after the home run derby uh, and we didn't get a chance to speak with uh Chad Ochocinco, you know, because of that. Although I, I met him off off to the side, very, very great guy, and obviously another fan favorite for many reasons. But you know, I think what stood out to me is statistically, and this is not a knock on Giovanni Bernard. He, he was never known as like, you know, like he wasn't a pro bowler like Joe Mixon. Like he he wasn't a guy who just intimidated you or just like you know blew the roof off the you know, the ceiling, blew the ceiling off the roof, however you want to put it. But, you know, it's just, he was very dependable. Like even when he played behind Joe Mixon his last couple of years, when he played with Jeremy Hill, uh, you just saw the impact he made. Um, and, and I think a lot of people remember that and it stuck with them. And, you know, his numbers are still pretty notable. I mean, he never had a thousand yard rushing season because he was never the lead guy, but, you know, he was averaging a good, you know, three, four touchdowns a year. You know, in his career, he averaged four yards per carry. So, like I said, um, he only got, and I don't want to say only, like, 900 attempts. That's a lot. He had, like, 937. Uh, but he was very dependable. Obviously, he was more of a special teams guy in Tampa Bay once he kind of, you know, hit the wall. But um, he was very dependable in Cincinnati, both with you know, Marvin Lewis and uh, Zach Taylor. He's one of only a few players who played in both systems. And so uh, I feel like if Mike was on here and if we did some research, it'd be worth ranking, like, you know, where does Giovanni Bernard rank as like you know one of the all-time Bengals in the last 25 years or like, you know, one of the all-time Bengals since the 21st century? All-time, all-time is a little bit of a stretch. I don't think he'd be very high there, but I think if you go just in the last 21 years, and I'm talking 
not just offensively. Uh, I think all over the board, defensively, special teams, like that's a name you're going to remember, not just because he's a fan favorite who's a cool dude, which he is, um, but he, he had notable moments. And so, you know, you can't go wrong with a guy like that. Uh, I mean, Ocho, that's not up for debate. I mean, Chad Ocho think is one of the greatest NFL players at his position. Uh, whether he gets into the Hall of Fame or not is another debate, but uh, we're not debating whether he's one of the best of all time in Cincinnati. That's uh, speaking for itself. But, yeah, I was shocked with Joe Bocci. Um, again, because I, I did not know much about the guy. I mean, shame on us when you're dealing with guys who are backups, who want to play special teams. You know, maybe they get slept on. And, uh, yeah, I definitely slept on uh, Joe Bocci today. But, you know, one other thing about the game, and this is – it might be cliche, but tell me what you think of this. So, you know, Dax Hill and Trent Irwin talked. And you saw them dapping each other up, like in the in the press room where we spoke to them, and you, you could see them dapping up. I, I posted a clip of this on my Twitter because Dax Hill and Trent Irwin couldn't be more different positionally, personality wise, age wise. You know, Irwin is a backup receiver; he's older, he's more seasoned. Uh, whereas Dax Hill is a first round pick; he's younger, he's a starter, presumably. But these guys just looked at each other like, you know, they were best friends. And I'm not, I'm not saying they are, but you, you think about what Joe Burrow said this week that, you know, there is a true love in that locker room. And I think anybody could say that any player, any quarterback can say that. But when you see guys like Dax Hill and Trent Irwin dapping each other up, when you see people like, you know, whether it's superstars like Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson or backups like Zach Carter and Hakeem Adeniji. And, you know, their girlfriends and Zach Taylor and his wife all coming together. I'm not saying other teams don't do this, but does it really just encapsulate and maybe epitomize the culture that Zach Taylor's building in that locker room? Well, I mean, maybe, but, you know, I think, um, yeah, I think that might be reading into it a little too much. I mean, I mean, obviously you have guys that, you know, have been around here for a while. And and I think that that matters too. I mean, you, you look at some of those guys that have been here, I mean, um, you know, Sam Hubbard, you know, he's been here a while, you know, he's obviously a fan favorite, especially after the playoffs last year. Um, you know, he's been around the team for a while. Uh, you know, you, you talk about some other guys, there were a lot of younger guys there. Um, you know, reader, well, you know, reader was there, DJ reader, like we mentioned, uh, Logan Wilson put on the event, but you know, a lot of the younger guys, Cam Taylor Britt was there. Cordell Volson was there. Uh, I'm trying to run through my head. Who was there? I, I, I just, you know, I think it was one of those things where it's, you know, it, it's the it's the right time of the year to do that. It was a really nice night. Uh, I mean, it was a good cause. I just think that, um, you know, I, I just think that when, you know, when you're a, a guy in a situation like that, it, it just makes a lot of sense to, to go out and support a teammate. Yeah, I mean, that obviously, yeah, I mean, that, that really sums it up, like you said. But, you know, it's just very interesting because you hear the word culture. And I, and I know, actually, it's ironic because we, we're talking about, you know, the whole Jonah Williams saga and, you know, whether or not there really was the unity that Zach Taylor is preaching. And that is still a fair question. And this is going to be brought up to him on Thursday. So, you know, everyone's having their fun now and celebrating. But once Thursday comes, party's over. Like, you know, the Jonah Williams questions are, you know, going to be a very, very big thing for Zach. And it's not on him, obviously, because this is the front office issue. But it's still an issue nonetheless that makes you say, OK, you, you see it at the baseball or I'm sorry, at the softball game. But do you really see it behind the scenes if Jonah Williams is you know, dealing with everything we talked about on Tuesday? And if you missed that conversation, uh, make sure you tune into that. That was a very great talk we had with Mike. Great opinions. Um, but very, very quickly before we go to break, if this is probably uh, – I know I'm putting you on the spot here. This is off the cuff. 
if you had to make a starting lineup, like an like a baseball starting lineup with Bengals players, who would it be? And you don't have to have like a, a batting order. That's I'm not gonna put you on that, but pitcher, first base, outfield, like right now on the spot, who are you making as your lineup from the Bengals? Um Oh, that's or a if you need to think about it, I can go first. No, um Bocci, Adamitis, Hubbard, Hendrickson. I'm gonna take Gio Bernard. Definitely. Uh, five. Reader, because I need a pit. I'll take Reader as a pitcher. Six. Definitely. Burrows, Burrows seven. Cam Have Taylor to. Britt, I need some speed. Eight. Uh, boy. Need some power. Well, you guys, you have no, power. No, I already got some power. power. Uh, I need like a slap hitter. Um, I'm Jamar take, Chase? Um, what's up? Jamar Chase? Sure. Why not? I'll take Jamar. Yeah, he's got, I mean, speed is speed. And then, I don't know, maybe he's a good slap hitter. You know, get you some nice bunts down. Yeah, I would probably say at pitcher, reader. At catcher, probably Jamar Chase because, you know, if you need to throw someone out at second, very fast and twitchy. Chase at catcher. Uh, put Joe Burrow at first base. Reminds me a lot of Joey Votto. And, you know, they're both superstars, so fitting, right? Uh, I would put Sam Hubbard at third base, big, powerful guy who can, you know, tag runners out and get some power at the plate. Uh, I need Cam Taylor Britt at shortstop. You know, it reminds me of Ellie De La Cruz, the new superstar in Cincinnati. Uh, and at second base... I'd probably put Joe Bocci there. You know, kind of fits the mold, fits the size, gives you power at the plate. In the outfield, I'm putting Cal Adamitis in right field. I am putting Trey Hendrickson in center field. And who am I putting in left field? Am I missing a name that you didn't mention already? I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. Not sure. Left field. You know what? You know what? I would put, hmm, I would probably put T. Higgins in left field. Get some size. You need a guy who can stretch out over the wall if you know someone hits it towards the warning track. Fast guy who can also be another slap hitter. T. Higgins. So th- there you go. That's that's my Cincinnati Bengals MLB All Star lineup. Well, speaking of All Stars, we talked about some big names. We're gonna talk about a name that you don't hear about often, and uh, we're gonna talk about why you need to hear about him. That is linebacker and special teams star Marcus Bailey who should have been in the Pro Bowl last year. Him and I have a very uh, thought-provoking chat, which will interest all of you listening. And we're going to have that conversation when we come back on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Joining me is Bengals linebacker and special team star Marcus Bailey, who uh, don't hear from guys like you very often, but it's a nice change of pace to have you on the podcast. Appreciate your time. Uh, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, man. I appreciate the... Uh you, you want me to have? He wanted to have me on, um, and you know I'm excited to, you know, have this conversation here. So you know, from a just roster standpoint, defensive standpoint, you're one of the veterans on this team. You're going into year four now. Uh, you've been here through it all since you know COVID and then the Super Bowl run, and you know your special teams play, which can't be overlooked, is a big part of that. Uh, but you know, for you, and, and I think people maybe overlook special teams either consciously or unconsciously. You know, your role that you play uh, with. Darren Simmons and all the guys around you. Why is your role so unique, and why why does it maybe get overlooked by some people at times? I think it gets overlooked just because it's an entertainment business. So, yeah. I mean, mostly offense and defense, and the starters are the ones that generate the most revenue when it comes to how this entire business of the NFL operates. But yeah. I mean, special teams is a, is a very overlooked and very vital component because it's field position and. You know, um, you want to go over here? It's really loud. No, it'll be fine. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's a very overlooked component. Um, 
but yeah, we dictate field position. You can, I would say, you know, you can you can affect the game in ways that people don't really understand. And if you're not good on special teams, you can really put your team in a bad spot. If you don't have, you know, people you can trust uh, protecting for the punter, you can get a punt block. That changes the entire course of the game. If you don't have a returner that you can trust back there to catch the ball and to be able to hold on to the ball, turnovers in the kicking game are catastrophic. And so I think if you play sound on special teams, you give your, your offense and your defense the best chance for them to go out there and play. You don't want to really want to screw it up. And if you, when you have your opportunity on your cover unit to go make plays and tackle people inside the 20, or to get a turnover or, you know, get a big, you know, fourth down stop if they, someone tries to run a fake on us like how we had last year against Tampa. Those are, those are momentum-shifting sh- plays. So I think special teams is one of those things that gets, like, it's just kind of, like, very, um, you know, just monotonous until right. something happens. You're like, oh, that's a huge play. Special teams contributed. But it's always, you know, we look at the – I know Darren is big with the stats and the numbers of, you know, our drive starts and, um, you know, the net punt against us and – well, we can return average on our returns and all these little things, they add up to these hitting yardages yeah. over the course of a game where you can, you know, really help your offense by giving them more first downs that they don't have to get. You know what I mean? So there's little things like that, but it's understandable that it's overlooked. Um, it's just the reality of it. So. So I think one parallel I'm seeing with you and Darren is Darren is very detail oriented and you are very uh, detail oriented there, which is impressive and remarkable. How much of that do you attribute to like what Darren has taught you and how much of that is just kind of your own personality and what you put into it and how you see the game of football? I think that being detailed and understanding the ins and outs, um, obviously my career at Purdue is all a linebacker, but that's that's a huge um, character trait of mine that has allowed me to get to this level and be successful. So I think meeting Darren and learning about special teams in the league, I think that just really meshed well. And so I can, it allows me to see things where he's coming from, from a coach's perspective, especially now after being with him for a few years now. So I, I know what he's thinking from a strategy standpoint when it comes to special teams and just me as who I am as a person and as a player, as an athlete, um, understanding the ins and outs the strategies and you know the the little details of all of it is something that you know i think is very important so before i get back to the uh, special team side of things obviously you mentioned you play linebacker that can't be overlooked either and one of the biggest plays you made last year was when sam hubbard had the 98 yard hubbard yard dash whatever you want to call the play and you made a very very important block i think it was on mark andrews the ravens tight end which allowed him to do that. So you played a very significant role in one of the most significant plays in Bengals history. Do you ever, does that moment ever play back in your mind? Or, you know, do you still look back at that moment like, man, that was crazy? What do you think of that? Well, it gets reposted so much on social media. I don't have to look at it in my mind. I just see it physically on my phone. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was really cool. It's, it's really, really cool now to look back and, um, you know, see that I am a part of a huge play like that. I know that Sam's the one that returned it and stuff. Um, and, you know, my, the block was a very big source of controversy. Uh, was it a block in the back? Was it not? And for the record, I blocked it from the side first. But, right. you know, fair, but, fair enough. but, you know, everyone is very subjective. But, I'm, you know, I'm glad they didn't call it. I'm glad that uh, I was able to play a, you know, pretty, a, a big part of uh, that play. And it was a, you know, I think that's what ter- allowed us to win the game. So, um, you know, you just never know when your number is going to be called and when you're going to be in a position where you have to be able to do something to help. And something, something seemingly so insignificant, you look back like, oh, if I, maybe if I didn't do that, then he would have tackled him. And who knows what could have happened then? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I remember being in the moment. I'm just thinking, just do whatever I can to not let him tackle Sam. 
and uh, you know, thankfully was able to work out in our favor. So, very last question of this, I think, really insightful and you know, mind-provoking, thought-provoking interview is you know, with special teams going back to that, you know, obviously, it's kind of a new chapter for you guys. You know, uh, could have a new punter with Brad. Evan is going into year three. Cal is the new long snapper. So a little change there. Um, what is a different outlook just beyond positional groups? Like what is kind of the outlook that you guys have going into next year that's different from last year? I think um, the beginning of last year, you know, Cal got thrown into the fire and then Drew got thrown into the fire with, you know, Kevin kind of the transition period there. So I think there were some maybe growing pains um, just inherent to – you know, youth. Um, but I think we have a, a veteran group, you know, Mike, Akeem, Bachi, Keandre. We have guys that have been here for a few years in the system. We know what the expectations are. We know what Darren wants from us. And I think a huge change this year has to be a lot more ownership on the player side for us to be account, hold each other accountable and to take, you know, take our level of play on the field to the next level. You know, to if a guy's not doing what they're supposed to do, to, for us to call each other out and have our player-led, you know, player-led discussions about that, it can't always come from the coaches. And I think that you know, as our playoff run last year, the end of the season last year, we started doing that. It's not something that we haven't done in the past, but it's just something that has to maybe even just you know be amplified more. You know, so. I would think when your playing days are over, whenever that is, you sound like you could have a good career as a coach. Just the details, the elaboration. You ever thought about being a coach one day? Uh, I mean, it's crossed my mind. I'm not really sure. You know, hopefully I have a, a lot more years, uh, you know, playing in the league. And, you know, you know, I don't know where that's going to go. But, yeah, I think that there's uh, – I don't put limitations on myself to what I can do outside of the game. You know, this has gotten me to the – it's gotten me to where I am now. It's a position where I'm, you know, 26. I'm, you know, relatively in a good spot, you know. But, um, you know, hopefully I can get, get a lot more out of this. And then whatever I decide to transition to, I think that – Due to my character traits and who I am as a person and the things I'll learn throughout the rest of my career, um, that I'll be successful in any endeavor I you know, decide to pursue. So, That's Bengals linebacker and special teamer Marcus Bailey with a very nice interview. I Really, I think one of the most insightful I've had in a while. So I really appreciate your time, Marcus. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, I was good to be on. We'll be right back on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Um, even though football season is... You know, I guess technically training camp is a month and a half away, two months away from talking the preseason, talking a lot of baseball and somehow relating it to the Bengals because, you know, the Bengals are playing softball. And, uh, you know, that just makes sense. And we put together our own little all-star lineups. And we heard from Marcus Bailey, who I think is another all-star who got snubbed in the Pro Bowl voting last year. And before we continue our conversation, looking ahead to the end of mandatory minicamp and the offseason, Make sure you sign up for our Strictly Stripes newsletter. Go to cleveland.com slash newsletters. It's free, and it's in your inbox every morning. Very easy to sign up. Make sure, make sure, make sure. And did I say make sure that you sign up for Cincinnati Football Insider, the best, most awesome, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious subtext service? Why is it supercalifragilisticexpialidocious? Andrew, tell them why it's all those syllables I just laid out. Yeah, um, I mean, you you know, you can join now and and, and kind of hear everything with uh, you know that our, our thoughts about OTAs, our, our thoughts about kind of what guys are saying in the locker room, you know, what we're seeing on the field. 
everything that you really need to know is going to get sent right to your phone. And I think that that's always a good way to start. You know, you don't have to worry about scrolling through Twitter, scrolling through any of your favorite news sites, trying to figure out, you know, what's going on with your favorite team. You get it sent right to your phone. It's the easiest thing in the world to do. Uh, very easy to sign up. Very easy to quit. It's, uh, but you know, what you, you know, it's a, uh, like I said before, I'll, you know, I've said it a lot, uh, skip the line on everything and get it sent right to you. And, um, you know, hear our thoughts, hear the news on the, uh, on the Cincinnati Bengals. And it's very easy to sign up. Go to cleveland.com slash bangles and make sure you sign up. It is very easy. You can also text this number and text your name to this number to sign up. It's 513-949-4147. Just to wrap up here, Andrew, a nice long podcast here on a very hectic but amazing Wednesday night. So I know we're beating on a dead horse when we say this because I, I think, you know, me, you, and Mike agreed on this yesterday. Not too much to observe or take away from, you know, these seven-on-sevens and these 11-on-elevens that, you know, we've been watching since Tuesday. But I think there's a few, you want to call them notebook observations, you could call it that, but I think there's a few things that really stood out to me that have some pretty strong weight to it that I think will make for you know interesting points in training camp. The first thing is, and I mentioned this yesterday, but I want to follow up on this and, and explain where I'm coming from. I mentioned Brad Robbins had a leg. I'm not just going to keep saying he has a leg. I'm going to say that he has a strong leg and a strong leg that I'm going to be totally honest with you. And this is not a knock on Drew Chrisman, who I think is very worthy of being an NFL punter at the same time. Brad Robbins, if he keeps playing the way he's playing, he is going to run away with that job. That punter job is his to lose because he actually had one punt that almost hit our good friend, Mike Petraglia, uh, who should have caught it. I roasted him on Twitter for that, but he, you know, from the opposite sideline to where we were in the stands on the other sideline, Robbins just booted that thing and it hung in the air forever. So if you're Darren Simmons, it's a dream. And if you're an opposing punt returner, it's a nightmare. And, you know, as Darren Simmons likes to say, he likes to have that fear of God returner. But I think any fear of God returner is going to feel the other way around when Brad Robbins launches his fury next year. I think at this point, unless Drew Crispin does something we haven't seen up to this point, it's his. Uh, and I also believe, and, and again, this is maybe a slight stretch. Hear me out on this and chime in if you disagree, Andrew. I think and I really believe Charlie Jones is going to run away with the punt returner job next year. What happens to Trent Taylor, I don't know. Maybe there's a path for him to make the team as a backup receiver or, unfortunately for him, he doesn't make the team, either gets waived or makes practice squad. But, I mean, Charlie Jones, e even with Brad Robbins punting, by the way, I get it. It's practice. It's non-contact, mostly non-contact. It really seemed like Charlie Jones just gets the ball in space, knows how to see the open route, the open seam, had good blocking, which is a testament to, you know, the special teams blocking that maybe has improved, you know, from last year. I, I really think it's Charlie Jones' job to lose. And on top of that, um, you know, T. Higgins is looking like somebody who needs to get extended. Why do I say this? Well, we, we've all known he needs to get extended, but he really, really needs to get extended. With the acrobatic catches, especially in the 7-on-7s seven sevens he made, I think any NFL team is looking at that and saying, if the Bengals don't extend this guy, he's going to be mine. So other teams are watching, and they're watching them very well. So those are my biggest takeaways. Do you concur or disagree with any of that, and what else stood out to you? Well, you know, one of the things that I've kind of noticed over these last, I, I guess, two days – 
Um, well, I mean, first off, you know, I think just for, you know, it, it bears repeating again. Uh, you know, this is kind of something that we've, um, that we've kind of joked about in the stands, you know, uh, you know, I was sitting next to, uh, Mike today and, you know, I was kind of, we were, we were laughing that whenever something happened, uh, you know, there were a couple writers saying, Oh, there's our lead. You know, there's our, there's our lead for our notebook story. Um, you know, I, another writer, uh, Paul Daner said that, you know, he's, he says he's written just about every way possible in terms of phrasing light practice. So, you know, th- there's not a ton going on, you know, it's, it, it is really kind of difficult to, to get a judge on anything. Not that you could really do that in, um, you know, in, in a, you know, if this were a, you know, I guess a full speed mini camp or anything like that, you know, it's just hard to kind of, to say with, with certainty, um, you know, any kind of definitive takes, but, you know, so one of the things I have noticed though, is that I think Chidobi Awuzie looks really good. Um, you know, I, I know we both kind of tweeted out videos over the last two days yes, of him point. working off to the side. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, we'll see what, what training camp is going to bring. Training camp is in like five weeks now, uh, give or take. So I, I, I'm curious to see what his limitations are, if any, going into camp. I mean, you know, I mean, he tore his ACL on, on Halloween and he had a surgery a couple of weeks later. That, that's not exactly the timeline that you would like to have coming off major knee surgery like that. Uh, but he looks pretty good. And I think that if you can get him back, you know, even if, even if you have to kind of ease him into a season, I, I think that's a good, uh, that's a good place to be just because, you know, when you go down with an ACL injury past, past September, you're going to have questions about the following year. So, um, you know, have, having him, you know, kind of look as good as he does. I think he looks sharp. He's making really good cuts. Um, you know, I think they even used him for a little bit today as like a scout team runner, um, you know, when they were just kind of running through some drills. So, I mean, he can, he can move and he can go left and right and, and, and he looks pretty good. So I think that's, uh, that's pretty good news for the Bengals. Yeah. I honestly think he's going to be ready for training camp. We haven't actually talked to him yet and we'll probably get one more chance to talk to him tomorrow, uh, Thursday, which will be the last time we see these guys before training camp. But he looks like a man who, if he keeps doing his rehab, doing what he's doing, he will be ready. And again, I'm presuming here, this is not a declaration. I would think he'll be ready for uh, training camp, which will make him even more ready for week one, which will put a smile on Lou Anarumo's face and Zach Taylor. I do want to also mention two sides of this as well. And this is uh, speaking of injuries, you know, Jonah Williams moved pretty well today too. Obviously he wasn't like uh, participating with the offense and, you know, his uh, positional group, but moved very well, looked pretty good. And he said he's going to be ready for training camp. So that I think already speaks for itself. But I do have – this is not a concern that is dire, but although Lyle Collins was outside, he has not moved much. Like there was only one resistance band drill he's done the last two days with Cheeto and Jonah. Other than that, he has not moved much. So unless he makes more progress you know, in the next five weeks, he doesn't look like he's going to be ready for training camp. I know we talked to him a few weeks ago, and he made it sound like he was going to get there. But, I mean, his injury was what? Uh, it was Christmas Eve, so yep. almost exactly two months after Cheeto tore his ACL. And it's the same injury, torn ACL slash MCL, or I think it was both. Nonetheless, it was one of those ligaments. And I think if we're following the same timeline, I don't think he'll be ready. I, I don't think – or if if he's ready for training camp, I don't think he'll be 100%. Like, whatever Cheeto is doing now, that will be Lyle in five weeks. But I still don't know if that means he'll be ready for week one. So at that point – you know, the positional battle at right tackle is going to come down to Jonah Williams and 
technically Cody Ford and Jackson Carmen, but I mean at that point, assuming Collins is not like good to go, it's gonna be Jonah Williams versus Jackson Carmen. And obviously it's Williams' job to lose, but you never know. I mean, if Carmen gets another thing to his advantage, I mean any leverage helps. And so, you know, it's it's Williams' to lose, but competition is competition. So uh, I think where Lyle Collins is now can say a lot about that right tackle battle, even if it's in favor of Jonah Williams. So that's another good point you made there. We're going to wrap things up Friday to talk about a mandatory minicamp, but tomorrow we have a very special podcast. It's about Joe Burrow because Thursdays are Joe Burrow day. We're going to talk about Joe Burrow off the field. We've talked about him as a leader. Now we're going to talk about him as a businessman, as an entrepreneur, as a hustler, uh, because when you're Joe Burrow, that name carries a lot of weight. We're going to talk about that and much more with several experts who join me tomorrow. But once again, for myself and Andrew, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. See you Thursday.